Welcome to the Fintech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 297. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lendit Fintech. Today's episode is brought to you by Lendit Fintech, the world's largest digital media and events company dedicated to all things fintech. Lendit Fintech offers programs throughout the year to the fintech community, such as engaging webinars, white papers, a weekly news show, a daily newsletter, and our newest offering, Fintech Features, a program that helps fintech companies amplify their announcements. Find out more details on all these offerings at lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Sam Sadu. He is the Vice Chairman and COO of Customers Bank, and he's actually going to be CEO starting July 1st. I wanted to get Sam on the show because I think Customers Bank has, is just a super interesting bank. They're a sort of a large community bank, sort of small regional bank, but they have leaned into technology like few other banks of their size or even larger banks have. And this has been demonstrated by the PPP. They, they've been involved in all three rounds. Uh, we talk about this latest round in, in some depth and how they really apply technology to help process loans for, for many other banks uh, as well as fintech. So we talk about that. Uh, we talk about the, the, the SBA and uh, how they are going to have a, an end-to-end SBA lending product uh, that will be stood up after the end of the PPP, something that has really been, uh, I say, sorely missing. And we talk about the role of branches and how Sam sees that. They, are, they have a small branch network. And Sam gives his vision for the future of Customers Bank when he becomes a CEO. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So I like to get these things started by giving the listeners some background. I mean, you've had, uh, you've had quite an interesting career uh, to date. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell the listeners some of the highlights? Sure, I'd be happy to. So first and foremost, to go back to the beginning, you know, born and raised in, in Pennsylvania uh, in a banking family. And now, believe it or not, both my, myself and my sister uh, are also following uh, in the banking and fintech space. My sister mm-hmm. Lebleen is the CEO of BM Technologies, and I think she's been recognized by Lendit in recent past as yep. a you know fintech woman of the year. But uh, also, you know, uh, stayed in Philadelphia area uh, for college, went to University of Pennsylvania, studying at the Wharton School, um, and after that, really started my career in uh, tech media investment banking, first at Goldman Sachs, and then joined a private equity firm called Providence Equity, again focusing on the same sectors. So. I've had a, a long journey, which I'll talk a little bit about through many, many different sectors. But, you know, first at Providence worked in the U.S. headquarters, but then moved to India as well. So got some international experience. And that's when I w- went, decided to go back to business school and, and really where the entrepreneurial angle and some of my own running my own businesses really started. So uh, I started a, a real estate private equity firm called Megalith Capital Management. It's really essentially a fund manager, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I've been doing, you know, for the last decade before joining Customers Bank last year. So fast forward, you know, billion and a half dollar portfolio, mostly New York City properties with over a million square feet of development. So we became a fully integrated operator as well. Also along the way in 2018 in parallel, uh, you know, launched uh, with some partners, a SPAC, focused in the fintech space and sector, which now everyone knows what a SPAC, you know, is a couple of <laughs> years ago. Uh, we were the third fintech focused SPAC at the time. I think someone told me a number. I don't know if it's accurate that there's something cr- like... 36 fintech focused backs, you know, active right, right now. I, I think it's direct, right. directionally believable. 
Um, but, you know, as the CEO of the, of the SPAC, uh, while also running the real estate platform, I had an opportunity to meet and in many cases bid on, you know, hundreds of companies in the fintech sector. Right. Um, and interestingly, all ro- roads led back to the bank charter. And that really brings me to Customers Bank, where I joined last January as vice chairman and chief operating officer uh, in January pre-pandemic. And, you know, goes without saying, I got to say, most importantly, my wife and I are the parents of, of uh, two beautiful young girls. <laughs> okay, that's great. That's great. So um, before we dig into Customers Bank, I do want to ask about the SPAC and the, um, you know, the Bank Mobile uh, spinoff out of Customers Bank. Tell us, uh, tell us about that spinoff and what, what that process was like. Sure, sure, absolutely. As I mentioned, you know, earlier, our, our SPAC pipeline, you know, brought us full circle, you know, back to recognizing the bank charter is really where the value is and where the ecosystem needed to be built. And frankly, many of the fintechs were just circling the charter and in some cases, or in most cases, were overvalued for the products or business lines that they were they were in. So there's a little bit of supply-demand imbalance. Mm-hmm. Um, the companies that we, as the SPAC managers, were most attracted to were either, they either powered the banking and fintech e- ecosystem, say like a Plaid, mm-hmm. um, or those that powered the customer acquisition and customer experience, like a bank mobile, now called BM Technologies. You know, so, so last year, we decided to consummate a deal uh, with Bank Mobile, which is a subsidiary of Customers Bank, and what is a, you know, a SPAC 101 deal. It's what the investment bankers that pitch you on the IPO say, pulling out a divestiture of an undervalued asset within a larger company that needed to be sold for idiosyncratic reasons. And in this case, Customers Bank had crossed $10 billion. Um, a large portion of, of Bank Mobile's revenue was based on interchange swipe fees, uh, and uh, the, that was being reduced as a result of crossing $10 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a, an interesting transaction. The deal closed earlier this year on January 4th, and uh, Bank Mobile Technologies uh, now trades in the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, and as the first you know, challenger bank, it's really a B2B2C you know, type uh, fintech uh, in the U.S., Right, right. And we've had Loveline on the show uh, before. Uh, I'll link to that in the show notes. But then uh, just before we get going, though, one more word about SPACs. I mean, you were early on the SPACs, as you said. You, like you said, you were the third. Um, mm-hmm. And now it seems like there's a new, you know, new SPAC that's uh, being announced almost every week. I mean, it seems like it's died down a little bit in recent weeks. But there's this SPAC mania that has sort of gripped fintech, it feels like, uh, in the last six months. What do you make of that? So at the end of the day, you have to remember what are, you know, that, that there's first focusing on fintech. There's a lot of private capital that has invested in some very successful companies and industries in the fintech space over the past decade. So there is a need for, for liquidity and, and to going public is a, is, a, is a great source of liquidity. Yeah, and there's also been a maturation in the technology you know, cycle. You know, from a SPAC perspective, a SPAC is a great tool. It's not a one size fits all for every company as an alternative to an IPO. But it can be very attractive, especially when there's a win-win on both sides, where there's value add on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, if a company can go public on its own without any hiccups and doesn't need any sort of specific you know, reasons to partner with a SPAC, it probably should. And a SPAC transaction doesn't necessarily make sense. The SPAC mania that's going on right now where, where SPACs, just based on the management team, are trading at a higher value than their trust liquidation value, that's something that has to eventually end. So rationality will will come back into the market. You know, I think we saw the opposite of this, where SPACs were trading at a discount to trust value in the financial crisis, Mm -hmm. which also didn't make sense uh, (laughs) below cash. So 
I think that it'll you know, there'll be sort of a, a swing back, but I think at the end of the day, they can be a very attractive tool for the right situation. Right, right. Okay, so then let's let's talk about Customers Bank. You, you it's an it's a very interesting bank. You've got a, a you know a great story, but maybe just describe how do you describe the bank today so the listeners have a good sense of it. Sure, absolutely. So Customers Bank is a is a, just over a ten year old startup bank that has now grown to. 18 billion in assets, um, and really it merges the established expertise of a regional community bank, but with modern offerings and the platform of a technology company, you know, fostering the, the creation and innovation of bank mobile as an example. You know, and really what we're doing at Customers Bank is we're designing a bank of the future that's at the intersection of community banking and tech or fintech, but doing so as one of the top 100 largest banks in the country, which makes mm -hmm. us very unique. Mm -hmm. You know, we have community banking in the Northeast in a branch light format. You know, we have only 12 branches, which is a, basically the same amount of branches as when the management team acquired what is now called Customers Bank in 2009. In addition to CNI lending and deposit gathering on the commercial side, we have national businesses like SBA, banking mortgage companies. Last year, interestingly, we funded 2% of all mortgages in the U.S. Uh, wow. Lender finance fund finance for private equity funds and venture capital firms, real estate specialty lending, equipment finance, and multifamily. And on the consumer side, you know, which represents just over 10% of our, of our book today, but it's growing, uh, we, we have sort of acquired that portfolio, or rather acquired those customers almost exclusively through digital means. Right, right. Okay, yeah, that's, that's, so let's, let's talk about, I, I want to dig into the PPP because I know you were a, a, big, uh, a big player in that program, but maybe before we do that, can you give us some sense of, you know, beyond the PPP, what, was, what, is, what has the last 12 months been like at Customers Bank? Sure, absolutely. Talk about, uh, you know, I joined in a whirlwind of a year. I joined yeah. at the end of January. Right. Um, <laughs> it was a whirlwind year for everyone, but for me personally and for the bank, now, I had six weeks together in person joining in as, as a senior executive uh, before we all went into, into lockdown. You know, so first we started, as many banks needed to, started by triaging the portfolio, mm -hmm. looking at the known and unknown risks. And we also you know, worked on uh, establishing and, and onboarding a new technology monitoring and, and portfolio management tool to assist. We then also, uh, I, I shouldn't say we then moved to because all of this was going on at once, you know. So right, we, of course. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we then uh, significantly increased our investment portfolio. So we allocated cash in a way where we otherwise didn't have business as usual type opportunities, but also we were, quote unquote, a balance sheet or lender of, of last resort. So there were huge interest rate moves and lack of liquidity in the market. And we doubled or more than doubled the size of our investment portfolio over a period of time. Uh, most of it happening in, in March of last year. So in hindsight, those trades look, look incredible now, but at the same time, at the time, it was, you know, very tactical and very thoughtful, right. you know, and then in, in uh, we'll talk about PPP, but beginning on March 27th, 2020, the, a date that will be ingrained in my memory forever, uh, you know, we pivoted to PPP um, and started helping our customers first and then inbound customers while we opened up a digital portal. And, uh, and then we helped, you know, small, medium-sized businesses, and importantly, micro-businesses around the country. And in 2020, you know, PPP, we ended as a top five lender with over $5 billion of loans. PPP ended in, in August 8th of last year. Uh, and towards the tail end of the summer, you know, we then, I started evolving my management role. So I took on a number of key direct reports uh, by the end of the year and have assumed most of the operating responsibility that I have today. So that was sort of a return to business as usual for a period of time. 
Uh, and then by December, we had PPP3 uh, launched and on the heels of record earnings, uh, record quarter for the year, the revenue grew 40% for the year, earnings grew 80%. Um, and we have expectations that that will continue in 2021 with momentum into 2022. It's really just, I feel very fortunate to have such an incredible team to have pulled off that feat in such a difficult time. So, right, but right. really it's all thanks to, to leaning into technology. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to, I want to actually think about that in the context of the PPP, because, you know, you, you said you've got, you've done three rounds and, you know, and we, we chatted earlier this year and you talked about the third round of PPP and how you were approaching it a little differently, but maybe, mm-hmm. Just give us some sense of what you learned from sort of round one and round two and what you applied to round three. Sure. So, you know, I think first it's important to have the lens of the borrower. So the borrower now had a a 25% revenue reduction test Mm -hmm. in in, in 2021, which really reduced the number of loans, the demand for loans, but it really focused and targeted on the folks that needed it the most. So you had a little bit less demand, but there was high volume of smaller loans. So less mm-hmm. dollar demand, but still a large demand. From a lender perspective, you know, lenders had fatigue and didn't really want to participate anymore. There's a, you know, industry groups, some lenders were focusing these PPP, TSD, post-traumatic, you know, stress disorder for PPP. <laughs> okay. uh, I messed up the acronym there. But, but additionally, I think what the, the SBA and Treasury did is they also worked to make sure that there was now a minimum fee for loans. So it was a $2,500 minimum fee. So from the customer's bank perspective, mm-hmm. how, do we, how do we sort of pivot? You know, we, we did a couple of things that, that really made this, that allowed us to lean in more. So, you know, firstly, uh, we talked about this. We built a hybrid model that really brought together the best of fintech and community banks. So we had a strong use of technology to gather and process applications. We backed it up with experienced bankers with a human touch, you know, to work through problems. And uh, we expedited, you know, our closings with experienced partners and loan servicing and PPP loan forgiveness, all using technology. We also uh, were very agile. Um, so unlike uh, many of our biggest competitors, you know, we're processing more loans today than, than JP Morgan and Bank of America. You know, we have only a 500 person team, but we were able to p- you know, pivot quickly using technology. So the SBA comes out with new rules within 24 to 48, maximum 72 hours it's embedded into our technology and our customer journey, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I think that type of agility really allowed us to, to flourish. And, and, you know, really, I think that at the end of the day, the ability to white label our technology, which we called PPP as a service, really helped fuel, you know, our success. And most importantly, our success is the country's success uh, because our loan size right now is, is $20,000 approximately, wow. more or less. So when you think about that, this was a 10-week type program, you're talking about payroll, of, you know, $8,000 or so, right? So these are, mm-hmm. this is a one, two, three person type, you know, types either sole proprietor or very small micro businesses. And they're the ones that are really most impacted by the shutdowns. Right, right. Well, I want to talk about that for a minute, the white label program, because I know that, uh, you know, that was, it, it sounds like you went out to other banks, you said who had PTSD from the PPP mm-hmm. previously, but then I also saw you're working with other fintechs. Can you maybe talk about the, the, the types of partners? And if, you, if, if there's anything that's public, you could name names sure. about who you worked with? Sure, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned, we built a white label PPP as a service model where CDFIs, minority deposit institutions, but also non-lenders like nonprofits and chambers of commerce around the country uh, were able to uh, use our technology by a creation of a landing page with their logo, their branding, uh, had the look and feel of 
a nonprofit or a lender or a bank's PPP platform, but we handle all application processing. We handle borrower intake, borrower questions, SBA submission, loan funding, loan servicing, and we will handle, you know, forgiveness as well. So we did this with an entirely, you know, dynamic tech platform. So now in terms of partners, you know, we publicly disclosed last year, we had partners like Cabbage on deck, but we also have marketplace lenders like Alendio and an Intuit, but we also have referral partners, say like a Wampley. And on the banking side, you know, we've had hundreds of banks send us loans, you know, including a top five bank in the country uh, who's sending us uh, release valve loans, I'd call it overflow type loans. We also have a $50 billion bank, several banks over 10 billion. And really this is what this bank, this hybrid banking plus fintech approach is really what helped help cement our position in the industry. And also, frankly, with the SBA, who's very appreciative of our involvement. Mm. Right. So let, let's talk about the SBA. I mean, because they, you know, initially there's, there was, uh, I mean, they had a very difficult challenge that was talked about a lot last year, but you know, obviously they had a lot more time to prepare for round three. We all suspected round three was coming. And so how has it been dealing with the SBA this time around compared to in 2020? Sure. So the timing could not have been worse from an SBA perspective because you had sort of Congress and the president, the previous president, sign this, uh, you know, the PPP new top off at the end of December. Mm-hmm. And then you had a new, this is post-election, a new administration coming in in, in, uh, in early January. And the program launched just days before the new administration. Right. And believe it or not, the political appointees all left. At, at noon, the day of the inauguration. So there was obviously a little bit of transition uh, mm-hmm. that uh, lapsed that couldn't have been prevented because frankly, just that's just the way that the, the government works, especially with the new administration coming in. But taking a step back, I think that the SBA, just like we learned at Customers Bank, uh, you know, learned uh, the SBA is also learning that through the use of technology with the right controls in place for fraud and also need determination and a smart credit box, and this, is, this can go beyond PPP, that banks like Customers Bank can really help achieve the SBA's mission, and we continue to plan to do so. So one of the challenges and the knocks that the SBA has been in the, you know, in the, in the front line of is, has been sort of fraud in 2020. Right. And I think that that may have resulted in uh, the pendulum swinging you know, a little too far, but we also think that the fraudsters have, have figured out how to potentially game the system of last year, and that, that wall really needed to be put up. So there, there were some technical challenges, you know, for the first couple of weeks and and months, but those have all really been worked out and things are moving very smoothly right now. And I think that we are, you know, confident and hopeful that the new administrator uh, will be leaning into, you know, SBA programs beyond PPP, like 7A. And, you know, at Customers Bank, we are actually launching a digital 7A, you know, program this quarter, which is an end-to-end fully automated process where we source a customer online, we fund it within 30 days, and we bring it in a customer to the bank, which is really unheard of in the industry and yeah, the SBA. That, that sounds great. The SBA and the seven A loans. A lot of a lot of small business owners want them, but it's just it's such it's been such an onerous uh, onerous uh, you know that's right way of kind of putting in that loan. Um, so then you you were an SBA lender beforehand, right? Right. You you, you did have a relationship with the SBA. That's right. That's right. We're a top top hundred lender, you know, in the country. And and to give perspective. You know, the top lender has about a billion dollars of PPP loans, sorry, of right. SBA 7A loans yeah. right. uh, that are, that are uh, you know, uh, originated every year on a typical year. Last year was obviously a slow year because of PPP. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have ambitions to really increase that through the hybrid, same hybrid model, the manual 
you know, relationship-based business development officers around the country, along with the digital, you know, the digital platform. And frankly, since we've now brought in hundreds of thousands of PPP customers to our bank, we're going to lean in with the next product that they're likely going to need, which is a lender. The, the SBA sort of is meant to be a lender of last resort. So a lender of last resort type financing with a government backing, which is now up to 90%. So we do anticipate that in a post-PPP world, you know, the other SBA programs will also be, um, you know, very attractive uh, as the economy continues to recover. Right, right, right. So, you know, the PPP is still going on. I mean, we're, we're recording this on April 19th and that other PPP got extended. Are you still seeing demand from small businesses today for, for PPP loans? Yes, um, we are. In fact, it's it's uh, it's just as large as it was at the beginning of the program in, in really? January. And the reason for that is at the end of February, there was a change to the Schedule C filers, the sole proprietors or independent contractors, whereby as opposed to calculating uh, payroll multiplier for the size of the loan off of net income, it was done off of gross revenue. So as a result, a lot of Uber drivers, fitness instructors, yoga, tea, whatever it may be, they now have an ability to get a more sizable PPP loan. So those changes have only been in, in effect for, call it, four to six weeks. And, you know, we have been processing uh, more or less about 20,000 loans a week since then. And, uh, you know, we recently took over, as I mentioned, Bank of America and, and JP Morgan. We're number four in the country right now uh, in terms of loans. To date, we have, including last year, we have done about just under $9 billion of PPP loans uh, with nearly 300,000 loans, which is about 1% of all PPP funds administered. Right. Wow. So then are you finding most of these customers coming through your partners, I imagine, rather than direct to customers bank? So it's actually, so first round last year, it was majority through partners or, you know, origination partners who were helping us source customers and in some cases help us package and do the initial packaging. This time around, we uh, our direct originations uh, are majority of the really? loans that we are processing right now. So, you know, we, we haven't publicly put out the numbers, but we will probably in the next week or two as we have our earnings come out. And I think it'll be an interesting, uh, interesting story and also a testament to how we've pivoted and how we've, you know, modified the way that we do business and not just repeat what we did last year, but actually significantly outperform. Right, right. I know when you go to your uh, your homepage on your website today, it's all about PPP. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> it, 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 that's really what the focus is. It seems so. So then, do you, given uh, given your your kind of perch in the, in, in this system? I mean, I, I'd love to get your sense if you, when you're talking to the small business owners, do you get a sense that this round three has has done what it's intended to, and has it been a, has been a successful program? It's it's a really good question, and I get this question asked all the time because we were big uh, proponents of the extension from March 31st to May 31st that just happened. Right. So we're talking to senators on both sides of the aisle, uh, Congress uh, uh, men and women as well, and they're asking for for data and detail. And and absolutely, I think that this the revenue test was a very important test because last year I think there was a a rush. It was an unknown. People didn't know how long we were going to be shut down, and there was a, yep. a bit of insurance planning or bridging through the pandemic uh, that happened. And I think this time that it's a lot more targeted. And the, the loan size for customers bank is small, but it's also significantly smaller for all banks and all lenders. Right. So I think that shows that it's, it's targeting the, 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 those most in need. You know, and I think that uh, if you look at some of the data, small bank, small business closures 
uh, were expected to double during the first year of the pandemic. In fact, they only rose by 25 to 30%. So I think just by, by looking at that, largely, you know, the banks like Customers Bank that, that, that had a, a very uh, quick pivot and speed to market um, really helped, helped with that and really uh, helped administer uh, the goals of what the SBA and Treasury and Congress were seeking to do. Right, right. Okay. Okay. So I, 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 want, I want to ask you a question about banking in general, because, you know, I said you, you are this sort of hybrid type bank. You've got a very strong technology focus, but you also have, uh, you know, a branch network, albeit a small branch network. How do you kind of thinking about that, you know, branch banking, shall we say, you know, post pandemic? Sure. So I think it goes without saying that the pandemic has globally accelerated trends which were already gaining momentum and was part of the vision, the I'd call the pre-pandemic vision. It's, 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 it's uh, you know, a little uh, interesting to think that a vision you had 12 months ago is completely changed and accelerated <laughs> by several years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, digital banking, digital customer acquisition, banking as a service, you know, all of these trends, you know, have accelerated in a tremendous way. I mean, branch banking, the need for branch banking wa- has always been there. Folks like to drive to their corner bank, meet press palms, look look folks uh, you know in the eyeball and do business, especially cash transactions. But it's more out of convenience and and consistency. And branches have always been cautious to close branches for fear of losing those low cost sticky deposits. But I now think that you know customers bank is you know we've closed a couple of branches, but that's off of a very small base, so you can't really look at percentages. Um, you know, from that perspective, but I think that branch banking, you know, uh, the acceleration of the end of, of what will eventually, end, you know, end, you know, in the way that it's done today has started and it's going to accelerate. Uh, you will need financial centers where you can still meet your relationship managers and in some, you know, limited cases need to do, you know, cash transaction. But, you know, from a small business perspective, which a lot of those relationship experiences get done in branches as well. PPP was a highly digital experience uh, for everyone, even if it was just a digital application as opposed to a total digital end-to-end automated experience like it was for us. And we think that these experiences are going to help break off the rust and create some inertia. Um, And I think that small businesses and consumers are likely going to consider digital-first banking relationships in the future. Right. And so that are you, it sounds like you're positioning customers bank to really take advantage of that. I mean, you've sort of leaned into technology and you've got, you know, so the end-to-end PPP. So do you feel like the future for customers bank then is a digital first approach? It sounds like. You know, I would sort of uh, uh, qualify that by saying, you know, we've always said going back to the, our, our first, the bank's first capital raise prior to my joining in 2009, 2010, when it was acquired by the management team, it was, you know, high touch, supported by high tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that holds true for our single point of contact relationship-based model. Having said that, there's a new branch on our strategy, which is the high tech supported by high touch. And that's right. a digital first customer. And I think that will that's a smaller percentage of our overall customer base and our balance sheet today. But as you can imagine, that percentage will rise over time. So it's not a change in strategy. It's just that we're we're adding, um, you know, a new a new branch uh, and a new customer acquisition strategy that will that will grow significantly over time. Right, but the, the PPP borrowers would have been nationwide, right? I mean, they're they're not they're not sort of focused in a geographical region. That's right, they're nationwide. Right, right, okay. So, so for you, serving those customers is going to be digital first. It sounds like. That's right. That's right. 
Okay. Okay. So we're running out of time, but I want to get a couple more questions in here. We've. I want to talk about small business lending specifically, and you, know, you talked about a, a you know, I'm putting putting up a, a 7A program that is is more, more digital, um, but I'm interested more in the on the demand side, and when it gets to you know small businesses. Yeah, the PPP, I don't think there's going to be a round four. <laughs> Anything's possible, of course, <laughs> if we get a relapse of, a, you know, a pan, of the pandemic or something. But assuming the PPP is over for good on May 31st, what do you see in small business lending? You know, how, do, how, how long before it looks like it did in 2019 as far as demand goes? Sure, it's a good question. You know, I think that uh, the pandemic has, uh, has, from a bank perspective, has highlighted the importance of, of balanced industry exposure. And, and uh, you know, the, the restaurants, shipping, retail, you know, they are going to take some time, you know, to recover. And I think that having said that, I think that there are green shoots everywhere. And I think that the vaccine deployment has been faster than people have expected. And I'm, you know, very hopeful that there'll be a quick, uh, you know, sort of a, a quick rebound which will allow some bank, some businesses to, to have some stability. Having said that, people have incurred debt, they have rent, they have you know costs that they could not turn off. Uh, you know, commercial you know landlords uh, have uh, a reckoning to do uh, you know over time. So I think that we'll start to see, as I mentioned before, government-led type uh, small business, micro business type lending. Having said that, on customers' bank roadmap is to have digital first, you know, term loan. Uh, working capital lines, et cetera, so that we can truly offer those digital-only credit experiences, uh, you know, in the coming quarters to be able to serve the needs of the small businesses that will likely need those types of products and services, and frankly, feel more comfortable using a digital-only relationship for those types of products in the future. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay, so then um, I was reading earlier this month that you have been appointed CEO of Customers Bank uh, effective July 1st. So would love to kind of just you know, get a sense. I mean, obviously, you've still got a couple more months before that, uh, that happens. But you know, what are your plans for the bank when you become CEO? Sure. It's a, it's a very good question, a very interesting question. Uh, I would say that the bank had a strategy and they brought in the talent to have, help execute the strategy. And you know, the intention was is that I would eventually take over, but it happened sooner than expected. And, you know, the, the, so the vision is the same. It's we want to build a highly successful bank that makes our customers say, wow, uh, the mission or the path is going to continue to evolve which in some of the ways that we talked about during the podcast. But we want to really ensure that our commercial clients have all the products and services that they need. Uh, so that they can self-serve and that they can self-serve as much as they need. You know, one thing that we learned during PPP is that, you know, many of the small businesses, they have a top five bank account. They have a community bank, like a customer's bank account. And mm-hmm. then they have a square or a cabbage of, you know, on deck, you know, type account. And I think those need to converge. And I think that's really where we, where, where customer's bank, you know, is seeking to go. We want to make sure that our, our consumers and our small, medium-sized businesses don't need a JP Morgan or a Bank of America for some small, large corporate or FX type transfer or something unique. Uh, we want our digital experience to be better than that of a top 10 bank so that we can really own the primary banking relationship. And I think the benefit of being small without legacy technology, legacy branch network holding us back allows us to, to be agile and, and actually compete the way a fintech might compete against some of the large banks. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that once, so we'd like to own a primary banking relationship. And then once we're successful on, on starting to be successful in that goal, our medium to long-term vision is to add other financial services 
products and services like wealth management and insurance and, and seek to then own the primary financial services relationship. And I think that would be how we really define, you know, long-term success. But if we can achieve, you know, most, if not half of that roadmap, I think all of us would be ecstatic. <laughs> right. Well, it's certainly, yeah, it's, it's, it's an ambitious, uh, ambitious agenda. And uh, mm-hmm. I wish you all the best, Sam. It was great to chat with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. See ya. You know, I think Customers Bank really is uh, is showing the way of the future here. With, I mean, they're they're not a large bank, but they're also not a, not a tiny bank, but they've embraced technology while still maintaining their community involvement uh, and the, the the potential and, uh, and the availability of in person face to face banking. But they're but the technology side of the business is something that, as you can tell by listening to Sam the last half an hour, that. Really, they, they, they have focused on, they have made it so that it's a competitive advantage for them. And, you know, whatever happens in their branches, they want to be a tech centric bank. And I think that's a, that's a model that many other, you know, uh, smaller community banks and, and regional banks are going to seek to emulate. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was brought to you by Lendit Fintech, the world's largest digital media and events company dedicated to all things fintech. Lendit Fintech offers programs throughout the year to the fintech community, such as engaging webinars, white papers, a weekly news show, a daily newsletter, and our newest offering, Fintech Features, a program that helps fintech companies amplify their announcements. Find out more details on all these offerings at lendit.com.